Hey there, Habs fans, Habs maniacs, Habs lunatics out there in Habs land. Welcome to the second episode of What the Fuck is Wrong with the Habs? A podcast series that will hopefully try to、uh, examine, illuminate, and potentially identify some of the major reasons why the Montreal Canadiens. The most storied franchise in the history of hockey have been a dumpster fire of an organization for the past 26 years. Before I continue with this episode, I just want to say thank you to all the people on Twitter that reached out with some positive feedback and some nice words of encouragement. Thanks to all of you, all five of you. You know who you are. I want to say thank you to、uh, to Avi Goldberg for pointing out that I made a mistake on the first episode. I、uh, referred to Randy、uh, Cunnyworth as Randy Latticer. I think in my brain, I, I think I know two Randys that are associated with hockey, and I picked the wrong one. I was close, but not close enough. When it comes to the world of podcasts, we have to be accurate. I don't know. I heard somebody say that once. Um. This episode, we're going to focus on、uh, the architect of the the recent disaster, the man with the plan,、uh, the guy who、uh, thinks everybody、uh, has a PlayStation at home, and that's how we follow hockey, or that's how we learned our hockey, or that's how we play hockey. I mean, I'm, I still have no idea what the PlayStation thing was. You know that guy that trades are hard and、uh, got to lower your expectations. And uh, you know, uh, the last time the Canadians missed the playoffs、uh, three years in a row,、uh, there was only、uh, you know three and a half teams in the league. You know all that stuff. That guy, you know, fancy pants guy, big arms guy. Yeah, Mr. TRT arms.、Um, before I commence, I'm gonna make myself a coffee. And、uh, smoke a cigarette, and I'll be right back in a couple of minutes. Today marks the first step towards bringing back a winning culture to our organization. As I mentioned recently, our priorities are as follows. Improve the team in the short term. Re-establish a winning culture over the long term. Give our fans what they deserve: the best possible product on the ice, and establish stability in all areas of the organization. As we embarked on the process of selecting our next GM, we were fortunate to have some excellent candidates. To evaluate, our fans should know that the decision was not easy. But we feel we've selected an individual with the potential to lead our organization in the future. We were looking for a candidate with very strong leadership capability, great communication skills at all levels, and someone with a clear determination and commitment to winning. We believe we've found the right person, and I'm pleased 
to introduce to our fans the next general manager of the Montreal Canadiens, Marc Bergevin. The date was February 5th, 2012. A slightly nervous, but totally excited Jeff Paulson introduced Mark Bergevin to the Montreal media and the Montreal fans. Coming from uh, the Bob Gainey passing the torch over to Pierre Gauthier era, Mark Bergevin's arrival in Montreal was a pretty welcome sight. Everybody was excited. I was super excited. He was French, so that, uh, you know, eliminated a whole bunch of uh, negativity off the bat. He had come off a winning uh, culture with the Chicago Blackhawks. He rose uh, the ranks in, uh, within that organization pretty quickly. Assistant GM. I think for one Stanley Cup and I think he was a head scout or head development guy the previous Stanley Cup so he was there for two Stanley Cups so we were all pretty excited when Mark Bergeron came on the scene he was young he was hip he spoke the language that you know most people understood he was the opposite of uh, Pierre Gauthier remember Pierre Gauthier used to refer to everybody uh, with a mister in front of their name. Mr. Markov and uh, Mr. Pacioretty. Like, it was weird. It was so weird. So when uh, Jeff Molson pulled the plug on that disaster and uh, introduced Mark Bergeron to the press on that day, everybody was super excited. The team was kind of bad, kind of average, kind of mediocre, kind of same kind of team we've had for so many years. But at least we had somebody new, somebody younger, different perspective, different way of doing things possibly. And uh, Montreal was uh, excited. We were full of anticipation of good things to come. Well, today it's January 28th, 2020. Close, pretty close to eight years after that presser. And uh, the Montreal Canadiens just lost to the Washington Capitals at home. Uh, the Washington Capitals without uh, Alex Ovechkin. The Washington Capitals, who uh, pretty much slept to walk through the first period of the game, and still managed to win. The second period was uh, a horror show. Three-on-ones, two-on-nothings, breakaways. Kyrie Price just pretty much standing out there on an island, kind of waving a flag. Somebody help me. Hey, Shay, what's up? Oh, no, that's not good. That's not going to help. 
you know things are bad when、uh, the defenseman with the most ice time is、uh, Ben Charot. Ben Charot. I still can't pronounce that guy's name. For some, I have a mental block in my head. Whenever I see his name written down on a piece of paper, I, I in my head I I, I hear Charot. I have no freaking idea why, but <laughs> maybe I've I've been conditioned to kind of you know hope that every player that comes to Montreal is French. You know, it might be good. They might have some sort of connection to the past. I don't know. One of my cats is going crazy now. Whenever she hears my voice, she thinks it's time for her to talk. Also, maybe you could hear her in the background, monkey. Oh yeah. So back to、uh, Mr. Bergevin. Eight years later. Eight years later. Where are the Habs exactly? Everybody on Twitter is kind of.、Uh, Kind of throwing、uh, their ideas in the hat, you know. Should we disband the team? Should we rebuild, retool, reset, reconstruct, reorganize, reshuffle? Oof. Eight years later, and the team is—I don't want to say worse than when they were. When he, when Mark Bergman took over, but they're not better. I mean, nobody could look you in the eye without kind of you know smirking a little bit and, and tell you that yeah, team's better. I mean, there's、uh, a few pieces. We got some pieces. Got those famous pieces, Reese's pieces, baby. <sighs> yeah, it's not good. I was reading、um, Brian Wall's article, his post-game article, "The Call of the Wild," as he calls it. Really, really good article today about the Habs, kind of stuck in no man's land, and it's 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 kind of like a philosophical no man's land. It's a it's a weird place to be. So what happened? What happened to those great expectations we all had? What happened to those incredible anticipatory feelings we all had? The Stanley Cup was just around the corner. I mean, we we knew it. We had the core: Carey Price, P.K. Subban, Andrew Markov, Emelin, Pacioretty. Mechanic, Eller Gallagher. We had the number three pick. Here comes Galchenyuk. And early on, let's not forget, Galchenyuk looked pretty good. You added him to the team. Everything looked pretty good. So what happened? How do we get from that kind of climbing towards the crest? Close to touching, touching that little bit of you know that Stanley Cup Finals kind of magic that we've all sensed before, but it's out of our reach for so long. What happened? Some people will、um, will point to the hiring of Michelle Therrien. 
and uh, I can't disagree about that. You know, the fact that he was fired is pretty indicative of the you know the fact that it wasn't a very good hire. But it was more than that, Michelle Terry and hiring. There was a strange kind of I don't know what word to use, but you know. Michelle Terrian was really good friends with Mark Bergevin. Michelle Terrian was the the guy who was bad mouthing the Norris Trophy winner of the Montreal Canadiens at the time. Michelle Terrian had been here before, didn't work out. Michelle Terrian has a very short shelf life and as a coach, everybody knows that. Michelle Terrian has a kind of a scruffy kind of attitude. Michelle Terrian is not the greatest communicator. There was a lot of things that were kind of oof, why that guy, and without scratching too deep under the surface, there we all know why. But there was extra reasons to kind of doubt that hiring. But it happened, and the team played well early on under him. But as uh, you know, the saying goes, you know, the stripes on the tiger. You know, I don't know. Is that a saying? I don't know. For some reason, I got stripes and tigers in my head. But Michel Therrien turned out to be who Michel Therrien is, and who we expected Michel Therrien to be. But Michel Therrien wasn't、uh, the general manager of the team. Granted, he made a lot of kind of personal、uh, decisions about the, the roster that affected things, that kind of shuffled the cards a little bit. The RNA was overplayed for way too long. Thomas Plakanic was overplayed for way too long. It kind of held back the progression of guys like Lars Eller. He turned out to be an afterthought on the team, so it kind of made sense to trade him. But you traded him. You got two picks that you kind of turned over for the Andrew Shaw, and then Andrew Shaw started getting hurt, started getting concussed. You had to walk away from that contract, so you ended up. Trading him back to Chicago for two less draft picks than the ones that you used to get him. So <laughs> that that whole thing there didn't work out. That whole whatever plan that was, you know, it went from Deharnay,、uh, Larzeller, Thomas Plakanic to Dano, and and hopes and prayers. You know, you're hoping that Kokniemi turns out to be a really good center. You're hoping now Suzuki turns up a, a really good center, Max Domi, who you traded for, you traded for, you know, got rid of Galchenyuk, not a very good center, for a guy who's not a very good center. So there's a whole bunch of you know nothing that turned out there, you know, with that old saying, you know, a lot of noise signifying nothing. And that's pretty much、uh, Mark Bergevin's tenure in Montreal. It's a lot of noise signifying absolutely nothing. There's we've we've become accustomed to new ways to spin old excuses. You know, we've become a city where slogans on T-shirts. Somehow matter. Never seen that one before. We've become a fan base that 
not only is told to lower our expectations, but the team is so bad that if our expectations got any lower, we'd be watching a different hockey team play. It's gotten so bad after eight years that a big chunk of the Montreal fan base would not only be super excited if the team made the playoffs, they'd probably celebrate in the streets. There'd probably be a cavalcade of cars honking their horns, people digging in their trunks to find that Montreal Canadiens window flag that they could put in the car again. It's been like five years. I'm sure it's there somewhere. I had one. And I don't even have a car. And I had one. So what happened if it wasn't Michelle Therrien? What was it? In the first episode, I talked a, a little bit about a philosophical refusal that Mark Bergman has in trading late first rounders. And that's a huge chunk of the problem. You know, bad drafting, refusal to trade those drafts when they have value. So you could maybe get that extra piece that you need, that you need on your team to fill it out. You know, so many centers got traded in the eight years that Mark Bergman is, has been the general manager of Montreal. That, you know, if he says now that the centers are hard to trade for, it's almost comical, you know. But so what happened? Okay, granted, Michelle Therrien was a huge chunk of it, you know. But you can't lay all the blame on that guy. He was just a coach, you know. Bad drafting bad philosophical kind of decisions and weird ways and not to improve your hockey team but somehow calling it a strategy you know and I think where the team really fell apart and now they're kind of struggling to put it back together again and they're not really sure which direction they're heading in is um, the Radulov Markov year that year to me kind of proved that Mark Bergman just doesn't have it as a general manager. Because a big chunk of a general manager is opportunity. You know, identifying the importance of the opportunity in front of you. And if you're going to stand in front of uh, the media every year and uh, tell everybody that, you know, signing free agents is almost impossible in Montreal. I'm not going to talk about the Sebastian Aho thing that we'll leave for another time. But if you're going to stand there and tell people that, uh, dude, free agents do not want to come here. First of all, we've got the language thing. The fans are a little bit crazy. The media is a little bit obsessed. You have the tax issue where players could literally play in, in states in, in the United States where there's no taxes. And then you have an absolute stud like Alexander Radulov land in your lap. He literally landed in Mark Bergevin's lap. He said, hey, Mark, I heard you, you. You need some help. I am here. I am here. 
for those not who, who don't remember, Alexander Radulov, coming back into the NHL, wanted to come back to Quebec, where he played his junior hockey. He felt comfortable. He kind of understood that people here understand hockey, so he'd be kind of you know welcome with open arms because he could play. So the only uh, the last time I checked, the only team in Quebec in the National Hockey League are the Montreal Canadiens. Mark Bergevin's biggest mistake, in my opinion, he made a couple of huge ones during the Radulov thing, but the biggest one wasn't giving him a two-year contract off the bat. Yeah, you give him a two-year contract, you give him one year, whatever the hell he signed for. I think it was with bonuses and everything. It came to like three million or something. I don't remember to be honest. You give him a second year as an option, a team option. That way, you have a little bit of uh, you know wiggle room. The uh, Bergevin was so kind of frightened of the prospect of you know Radulov exploding and causing a distraction within the team that was going nowhere anyways. That he kind of played it safe and you know he gave him one year. So when the year was up, there was decisions to make. And if you're um, if you're screaming from the hilltops that uh, free agents uh, don't want to come to Montreal, when one lands in your lap. You uh, you don't play hardball. You don't uh, play uh, first come first serve. What the hell does that mean, anyways? First come first serve. Are you serving ice cream or something? And that, to me, and then not even not even offering Markov, you know, a two-year contract. You you could have, you know, made the contract in a way where the second year was, you know, more beneficial to the Canadians and. If it didn't work out, it didn't work out. But it was kind of a refusal, you know. It was like a straight refusal. And at the time, you're looking at the team and you're going, "Dude, if you take Radulov and Markov away from your team, you got nothing. You got a whole bunch of nothing." And Bergman kind of played his hand, blew it in in a way I've never seen a GM blow it in the city. Maintained his job for some freaking reason. Not sure why. Even after the team, after that complete disaster of an off season, even after the team displayed exactly who they are without Radulov and Markov, still maintained his job, and we still kind of kept going like everything's okay and there's some sort of plan. And next year kind of connects to this year somehow. Not sure how. And in my opinion, that was. The turning point. That's where you kind of you went from one hole. You kind of filled it, kind of luckily. You kind of filled it a little bit with Radulov coming in, and then you created another hole for yourself. So it's, it's like somebody threw you a lifeline. You looked at it, you touched it, and then you spat on it and tossed it back, and then you slowly drowned. It just didn't make any sense. There was just no logic to it. I mean, you're trying to save money. What are you trying to save money for? You know. And the funny part about that year, you know, he was making all these, you know, claims about, oh, we gotta, you know, be wise about the the cap and all that. So they ended up playing underneath the cap. For God's sake! You refused to give money to Radulov and Markov. And then you threw a five-year contract at Carl Alsner. 
anybody who's watching uh, you know other teams uh, other than the Habs play hockey kind of realize that Carl Olsner was not the same hockey player after his injury he came back and the Washington Capitals looked at him and they said hey Carl yeah thanks for all the years that you put in but uh, yeah can you sit on the sidelines for the playoffs the guy the Capitals put on the sidelines a healthy scratch in the playoffs is the guy that Mark Bergevin because he had money left over he had no, no idea what to do with it didn't have a defenseman anymore threw it at Carl Walsner so that was a in my opinion that year was that extra little you know hole that was dug for the Montreal Canadiens to climb out of you know. and here we are in 2020 and we're still climbing out of that hole Mark Bergevin in his if infinite wisdom and I think we all know the reason why lost Markov and then lost Sergachev because we had to bring Joanne here you know I mean, that one's a little head scratcher but you know you're kind of making t-shirts about attitude and telling everybody about character and you trade for a guy that literally left his hockey team okay it happened he was French exciting you know we'll give you a pass on that one you know we kind of know what you're doing you know we don't agree but we don't disagree we kind of we, we get it but I'm not going to put down Joanne because the guy's in my opinion this year he was giving everything he had in fact he was giving so much that he overreacted in that game that he got hurt you know he got a little pissed off that uh, Ovechkin kind of nailed him with a good hit so he got over aggressive and I don't remember which defenseman it was for, for Washington but I saw the play happen and I, I was kind of in the back of my head going oh, oh boy and Joanne kind of saw him going around his own net and he kind of made a beeline for him but at the last second before he could crunch him the guy kind of bent his knee and anybody who's played hockey knows that hurts when you're about to nail a guy and he flops on one knee we used to hate guys who used to do that but some guys were good at that and they could drop at the last second and you're going overhead into the glass and that's what happened to Joanne he went overhead, crumbled to the glass, and I think he hurt his wrist somehow, you know? So, I'm not going to put down Joanne. The guy was giving everything he had this year. But it was just another indication of a move that kind of on the surface looks like it's a good move, but doesn't really help your hockey team because it sets you back because you created a hole with a markov Sergachev thing that you haven't really filled yet. But you got an exciting French winger. So it's it's a lot of Mark Bergman is a lot of you know this and that it's like it's a half of this and half of that you know and um, yeah Terry you know, foxholes remember the foxholes foxholes foxhole buddies 
you're in a foxhole, you know, you want Michelle Therrien, why, so he could bore the shit out of you? The fuck would you want Michelle Therrien in there for? If you're in a foxhole, you want somebody who could be a little entertaining because you're in a fucking foxhole. You know what I mean? If you're telling me Michelle Therrien is really good uh, running in the field, attacking people, I'd say, oh, yeah, I could see that happening. The guy's pretty surly. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I don't doubt about it. But you're telling me the guy in the foxhole? The freak are you talking about, foxhole? Remember the clusters? Remember the clusters? The Habs are part of a cluster of teams. Yeah, I, I chuckled when I first heard that. The cluster. <laughs> cluster fuck is more like cluster of teams. Mark Bergeron just came up with the excuses after excuses. PR. Kind of uh, distractions. Once again, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave the media part of the Habs uh, turmoil till the next episode. But yeah, he's got some help in the media that kind of help helps him uh, spread his message of garbage. <laughs> it's just distraction. It's just bullshit. You know, one of the best ones when uh, when Radulov decided to sign for Dal- with Dallas, that uh, automatically uh, I think it was Lavois. It's usually Lavois with TV Osborne. He uh, automatically. Oh, Mark Bergman offered the exact same money that uh, that uh, Radulov signed for to make it seem like Radulov said, you know, fuck you to the Habs. And the truth is, he offered the same amount after Radulov signed. <laughs> But they kind of threw it out there anyways. Here, eh, better just throw it out there. You know, Pat Higgy confirmed they offered it after uh, Radulov signed the contract because Radulov got sick and tired of waiting for uh, for Mark Bergman. So he said, yeah, screw it, I'm going to sign with these guys. And uh, I don't think he's made a mistake. You know, teams are exactly uh, better without him. And he seems to be having fun in Dallas. Um, so there was that <laughs> disaster. And uh, now that we approach 2020, 2021 season coming next year, the Habs are in a pickle, a serious pickle. There's a bunch of guys next year that have to be re-signed. Domi has to be re-signed this year, but he's an RFA, so it's still kind of manageable. But he's going to make over four, four million. Do you really want to give Domi four million dollars? You know, he's shown this year that there's an inconsistency to his game, and pretty much, you know, one of the reasons probably Arizona got rid of him. You know, Arizona got rid of Max Domi. Traded for Galchenyuk, got rid of Galchenyuk, and they're a much better hockey team with either one of those guys. So maybe it says something about both those guys, you know. We all got excited about Domi last year, there's no doubt about it, but like I said in the previous episode, a lot of guys overachieved last year. A lot of guys had career years. There's a chance that Max Domi never touches what he did last year. I think he finished with 72 points. This year he's on pace for high 40s, I think. Might hit 50-something if he gets really hot again. You know, he had a streak there for a while. But, you know, he's another small player on a team full of small forwards. And a lot of people misunderstand small, meaning just, you know, length of, you know, height and stuff. The small is, you, you could be six foot one, 185, 190 pounds and play soft. It means... You're not very strong on your skates. You're easily, you know, pushed off the puck. You're easily boxed out. You know, you don't have that extra kind of, you know, second will to you, you know. 
and uh, yeah, it's not good. And uh, the team is definitely going to miss the playoffs this year. There's no doubt about it. I mean, it's got to be a miracle, like a 17-game winning streak in a row, you know. Then they might have a chance, you know. But that's not going to happen. So they're going to they're gonna finish probably, I don't know, I'd say six from the bottom. So 25th, 24th, around there they're going to finish. They'll have a decent pick. They'll have a top 10 pick. They'll add it to their, you know, what's it called? Grocery uh, bag of uh, draft picks for next year at the Bell Center. That should be exciting. Now, when I say exciting, I mean in an interesting kind of way, you know. I mean, what the reaction is going to be that year. Who is actually from the Montreal Canadiens going to represent the Montreal Canadiens when the draft happens, you know. Is Jeff Molson still going to let Mark Berger be there? Is Trevor Timmons still going to be there? Because we could point fingers, I could point fingers at, you know, Mark Bergman all I want, but Trevor Timmons has done a horrible job, you know. You could say, well, yeah, I'm not counting top 10 picks. Anybody can make a top 10 pick. Literally a monkey can make a top 10 pick, you know. It's those late picks, you know, the second rounders, the third rounders. A couple of guys have come through. I'm not going to say nobody's come through, but you, you can't just say, you know, and I don't know how long he's, Trevor Timmons has been here, but it's been like 11, 12 years or something, you know. There's not a lot of, lot of top-end talent there. A couple of good years, no doubt about it. The Pacioretty year with uh, McDonough and Subban, no doubt about it. The Gallagher pick in the fifth round, I think, no doubt about it. You know, but there's so many late first rounders that were absolutely wasted. And as an organization, or a professional sports organization, the the league gives you these. It's like, here you go. Here's a young kid. You got to be smart though. You got to pick the right one for your team. But here's a kid. Doesn't cost you anything, you know. And the Canadians had a whole bunch of them. Year after year, that turned out to be nothing. Just wasted picks, wasted time. Um, so, like the Brian Wild, the article that I was reading, Canadians are kind of in no man's land. You know, they're. I think. I think deep down inside, they can't be stupid. I think they understand that where the team is. You have next year to kind of hope you make the playoffs because you can still maintain your roster pretty much, but the team's not really good enough to go anywhere. But you you could play that game, or you could be honest with yourself. And I don't think they're there. I don't think they want to admit it, you know. And you have to trade Price. You have to trade Weber. You have to trade Petrie. You have to trade Tatar. You know, Kovalchuk. Let him play for the rest of the year. I mean. That the fans, you know, I'm not saying they're going to make all these trades this year. They're not. They're not going to do anything. They might trade Petrie. They might trade, you know, it might be something unexpected, like a Domi gets traded. That wouldn't shock me. But where are they going? Does anybody know where they're going? Do you think Mark Bergman has any idea where they're going? 
Mark Bergevin is still trying to fix the defense that he kind of ruined with the, the Markov year there with Sergachev. You know, you kind of lost Markov, Sergachev, and Emelin. And you kind of replaced the Emelin part, you know, in a whole bunch of different ways, you know. But you most definitely did not replace the Markov part, you know. You got nobody close to that guy. Sergachev was close, but you got rid of him. So you kind of didn't replace Markov twice, you know. And that's not going to help your team, you know. So what can Mark Bergevin do from this year to next year to show fans that, you know, the team is, uh, you know, just uh, give us one more year there, folks. We promise we're going to turn this thing around. I'm going to show you what we're made of because we know what we're doing. Does anybody believe it? Does anybody look at the Montreal Canadiens play and they say, you know what? This team in a year, year and a half, look out, folks. Look out. Does anybody actually say that? I mean, the more I see Carey Price play, the more you kind of realize, ooh. Only a matter of time, tick-tock, tick-tock, before this guy, you know, calls uh, his agent and tells his agent, uh, yeah, call uh, Mr. Jeffrey there and tell him that uh, it's not working out, you know. I made a list of the teams that uh, I would like to go to, and here you go. Only a matter of time, you know, the way things are going. looking at the clock now it's a good 30 minutes that I've been talking like a ding dong don't know if I said anything not really sure but uh, obviously the Montreal Canadiens have to make a change change in management they gotta change everything there's no doubt about it you gotta gotta change GM you gotta change uh, the head scout Uh, you gotta change your coach and uh, you got to change your philosophy of always hiring a conservative coach. There's no problem hiring French coaches. There's there's a lot of them, a lot of really talented ones out there. You know, there's, there's no reason why you always have to go back to the same guy. There's no reason. That's just a safe, safe move. That's all it is. You know. And uh, Jeff Molson has to start all over again. You know, sometimes it's good to start all over again. Sometimes it's a positive thing. Sometimes it's it's full of dread, you know, but when you're kind of misstepping year after year after year after year, what are you dreading? You know, can't get worse. Montreal Canadiens are on pace this year to have the worst home record that they've ever had in modern era, you know, more than 72 games. They're on a pace that is horrific. They've won 10 out of 27 games at home this year. 10 out of 27. Remember when Jeff Molson promised everybody, uh, remember that f- the famous PR year that year? That off-season PR year where he literally hired a new PR guy? And then he threw out that, you know, we're going to have a fan experience thing at the Bell Center this year. And he literally went out and he paid millions to some sort of entertainment company. Tell them to play some music in between. Uh, it's like, what the fuck kind of 
nonsense. Fan experience, baby. 10 wins in 27 home games. How is that for fan experience? Ooh. Yeah. Ah, wow. But through uh, through all through thick and thin, through all the you know the missteps, the, the ups and downs, and the roller coaster ride that has been Mark Bergeron's tenure, one thing's for certain: there's always a huge chunk of the media that's gonna—I don't want to get uh, nasty here—but it's gonna pat him on his back and tell him how good of a job he's doing. And not only that, they're gonna let everybody know. So, not really sure where we go from here. I don't think uh, Mark Bergevin knows where uh, the team goes from here. I don't think a huge chunk of the Habs fan base know where the team goes from here. We tear it all down and start properly, which means maybe another four years of kind of really bad to slightly mediocre to perhaps really bad teams until maybe there's a there's an uptick a little progress I don't see that happening I don't see Jeff Molson doing that I don't see Carey Price leaving Montreal unless he personally demands a trade Jeff Molson is not going to do that. He's not going to watch one one superstar after another leave the team while the team is kind of treading water. I think they're going to they're going to double down, triple down, quadruple down, whatever you want to call it. They're going to they're going to put all their uh, their baskets into next year. I don't blame them. I think right now since they've made so many kind of missteps along the way they don't have much of a choice but the team has so many holes to fill and even if they maintain most of the the roster of this year they won't have much money to add anything to the team if they sign Domi so that gaping uh disaster of a defense won't really be improved that much you know unless Rap, uh, Romanov comes over and there's no guarantees coming over so there's so many questions of the Montreal Canadiens you know where do they go I have no freaking idea does the future look good I don't know the future always depends on you know decisions that you make today also and tomorrow so who knows might be brilliant it might be nothing you know a lot of the young players that we're putting a lot of uh, hopes in might not be as good as we want them to be you know we might force them to play in positions where they have to do so much they 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 regress you know a big chunk of uh, the Montreal Canadiens problems have been development Whenever they have a young player, just because they never have depth on the team, they gotta overplay him when he's not ready or in a position that he's not really suited for. And it's, you know, round holes, square pegs, square pegs, round holes. 
So I don't know what the future holds. You know, I don't know where the Habs go from here. The only guy that really knows is Jeff Molson. He's the only guy that has an idea whether changes are going to be made or status quo is going to maintain for a while longer. I don't know. I'm going to shut it down for another episode. I've been close to 50 minutes. I didn't realize I was talking that long. I guess when you, uh, you have good things to say about somebody, you have a lot of things to say. Yeah. I don't know, man. All I know is uh, one part of the Montreal Canadiens under Mark Bergman that I really got tired of was all the games, all the PR games, you know, all the nonsense, all the unnecessary nonsense. Dude, you're a GM of a team. You make decisions. Sometimes they go right. Sometimes they go wrong. You don't. You don't have to. You know, kind of uh, find some sort of uh, coding after something doesn't work well to make yourself look a little bit better. It's just. It's distasteful, you know. And for most people that have a brain in their head, they can see through it. So, if Jeff Molson makes a decision to pull the plug this year on this management team, a big part of me really hopes they do. Because that's the only chance we have of making a, a serious kind of uh, change in direction. I don't know if it's going to happen or not, you know. But, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, next week, I'm focusing more on uh, another essential, essential element of what the plagues Montreal Canadiens is a kind of a toxic media media center and uh, I hope you guys join me next week not sure when I will be posting it but that's it for another uh, another episode of what the fuck is wrong with the Habs I'm gonna play you guys out with some uh, classic Alan Parsons project see you guys next week